day-to-day work on the farm that we started doing more often and figured we should try to find an avenue to be able to make those connection points easier. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. My name is Delaney Howell. Along with my co-host, Mike Pearson. And Mike, today is indeed Tech Tuesday. We've got a great conversation coming up later on the podcast. But I wanted to also just share a quick message with everyone on the podcast today. Our periodic H or our periodic tech sponsors, I should say, at HTS Ag wanted me to just share a quick message with all of our listeners here ahead of some big upcoming trade shows, some ag shows, if you will. HTS Ag is uh, very exciting, Mike. They're giving away a Mavic mini drone at three big Midwestern trade shows coming up here, including the Iowa Power Farming Show, Hawkeye Farm Show, and the Triumph of Ag Expo. So they're giving away a drone at each one of those three farm shows you just stop by their booth and sign up you'll be entered to win in that drawing but uh, i wish i could be applicable for that but i'm guessing they probably don't want us to enter probably not but that would be so cool to have a mavic mini drone so yeah listeners if you're gonna be at any of those three farm shows find our friends at hts ag they're great folks get registered for the drone and just talk to them about uh, what's going on in precision ag they are some of the most knowledgeable folks in the industry about that sector of agriculture that I've had the chance to work with. So they are, they are great people to chat with. Absolutely. Well, Delaney, it is Tuesday, but of course we had a three-day weekend. Did you do anything exciting over your three-day mm. weekend? No, I was supposed to go to South Dakota for the South Dakota Corn Growers Annual Convention, and it got snowed out, postponed. Oh. So I uh, just kind of sat around all weekend and enjoyed my snow weekend. Nice, nice. Well, that's always kind of enjoyable. Get get the chance to uh, rest and relax a little bit. Absolutely. What about you, Mike? I did the exact same. I, I rested. I relaxed. I had a bit of a bit of a fever, and I've had this hacking cough for about two weeks. So oh, I thought, good. you know, I'm just gonna lay low and see if my body can heal itself with some orange juice. And ah, it seems to have mostly worked. I feel a little better. Still got a little bit of a chill, you know, and coughing like crazy. But I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure you're fine. You're 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 a tough guy, I think, most of the time. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Oh boy, Delaney, you know it was not tough today. What is that, Mike? The soybean markets. I know we'll cover this in greater detail as we get into the markets here later on in the program, but boy, it was a crazy day in the grains with wheat up and beans down corn on the day. But before we get into that, we've probably got some news to cover, don't we, Delaney? We certainly do, Mike. I want to kick it off since you were right there. We did have a three-day weekend, so we kind of had some, I wouldn't say big news, but we definitely had some news happening Friday into the weekend, especially with Secretary Perdue and President Trump both checking out this year's American Farm Bureau Federation convention. Kicking it off here with President Trump's remarks, he spoke on Sunday at that annual event and declared that the best days for America's farmers and ranchers are yet to come. And he spent quite a bit of his time thanking producers basically for standing behind him amid the tariff war with China, said, went on to say later that he doesn't think that farmers and ranchers have ever been in a better position and called really the next two years here, a bonanza for American farmers. So he didn't really release a lot of specific details about, you know, how we're going to get that $80 billion, but he definitely took the time to thank his uh, rural constituents and just kept reiterating to them that 
The best days are yet to come. Then on Monday, we saw Secretary Perdue promise farmers a couple of different things. Mike, we saw the first one here. An actual confirmation from Secretary Purdue that we will receive farmers will receive the third and final batch of trade aid for 2019 losses, but he did go on to say that 2020 is not going to happen. I would bet it in a one in 100 odds that we will see anything come for trade aid this year. But uh, Purdue then went on to tell folks, tell reporters that. The enforceability provisions that they put into this phase one trade deal are fairly unique. They're fairly enforceable. He said he really wasn't worried about it. And a big part of that is because the USDA is going to play a bigger role in making sure China is actually following through on those purchases. Uh, Using the data they have available to them, they are going to work pretty closely, it sounds like, hand in hand with the U.S. Trade Representative's Office to ensure that China is actually following through in purchases. And if they're not, One of the biggest ways to make sure that they are, to uh, enforce it if they aren't, is to put back on trade tariffs or reinstall some of those tariffs that we saw lifted as of the Phase 1 agreement signed. So just some of those more headlines starting to trickle out. And then I just wanted to add one other thing. Uh, because as we've talked about on the podcast before, Vice Premier Liu, he made some comments at the signing that... uh, Basically, they would buy if the market conditions were right or if they were correct or if they were at levels that China felt were favorable. And basically, according to Chief Agricultural Negotiator Greg Dowd, he said, hey, look, we don't expect China to buy U.S. soybeans in the middle of Brazilian harvest. We don't expect them to buy them from us when the U.S. is more expensive. But that doesn't mean that there's any less of a commitment here today. So basically just sounds like he was uh, reassuring folks that China will indeed follow through on their purchases. Well, and, you know, I, I think we all certainly hope he is correct about that, but it's kind of frustrating given that we are, we sign this thing as we head into Brazilian harvest right. when, you know, we'd love to be seeing some, some sales to China to, you know, see if they are sticking to their end of the mm-hmm. deal. The way Absolutely. things stand, China has already supplied their first quarter's worth of beans, mainly out of South America, a little bit out of here, out of the U.S. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we're not expecting to see too many other huge sales um, until Brazil really ramps up harvest. And right now, I suppose working in the American farmer's favor is that the Brazilian harvest is running about 5% below where it was, or slower, I should say, than it was a year ago. And there are some forecasts for some pretty heavy rains going forward, which could slow that harvest down even further. So I know a lot of farmers in this country had to deal with wet, wet, wet conditions at harvest. And it looks like our South American cousins are now it's their turn. All right. Well, speaking of South America, you know, we have talked intermittently on this podcast about the change of government that happened in Argentina. They uh, elected a new government back in December, and it's a government that is is socialist and uh, running against Mauricio Macri's, their previous president, kind of free market impulses. Socialist government took power, and they have said that one of the ways they have identified to quickly raise funds to support some of their programs is by increasing export taxes on grains. Naturally, this has upset a lot of Argentinian producers. And on Saturday, the country's main rural association, so these would be groups, I think they'd be comparable in a way to Farm Bureau or uh, the Farmers Union, 
but perhaps a little bit more legal standing or a little bit more uh, uh, cohesion amongst their members. And basically, the, the members of these groups, uh, CARBAP, CRA, FAA, and the Rural Society, all got together in Buenos Aires, and they discussed, they discussed what they are going to do if the government does, in fact, raise export taxes. And what they said is that they are going to suspend the sale of grains starting on January 31st if these taxes aren't changed or modified so that they're more, uh, you know, uh, palatable to the farmers. Um, basically, if this goes into effect, we would see exports from Argentina especially if essentially come to a halt, hmm. which could open the door for some U.S. exports, particularly of uh, corn and wheat, which we've definitely been needing and uh, might have been some of the impetus for the rally in the wheat market today. And what date did you say that had to happen by? Uh, January 31st okay. is when the, the export taxes are expected to be raised. So if they're not changed by then, that's when they said they're going to stop selling grains. Well, that's a pretty short window. I mean, 10 days away. It is. It is coming up very, very quickly. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it's very. Well, since today is Tech Tuesday, and it's a little bit of a slower news day today, coming back off of a holiday break yesterday, if that's what you want to call the day off yesterday for MLK Day. But I uh, saw this article. I thought it was pretty interesting. I'll share it on our Facebook and Twitter account at Ag News Daily. But it's looking at the top four trends for 2020 as related to technology. In the top four trends, it sounds like here, I thought the ones that really stood out, I mean, if there's only four, but... Um, one of the ones was in 2020, it seems like more businesses, more agribusiness folks are going to turn this data that we've been talking about for so long, this big data, actually working to turn it into actionable insights this year, ways producers can use it on their operations. And along with that, it seems that more folks are going to be turning this information into more of a norm as opposed to a luxury or some sort of value add. So incorporating that into more and more pieces of the agricultural system, as well as making it basically more fluid between applications. So we talk a lot of times about, you know, it only works with this system or this type of equipment. Seems that the trend in 2020 will be to make it kind of more across the board to work with whatever systems producers may be using. So I just thought that was interesting for today's Tech Tuesday. Absolutely. You know, that's one of those challenges that we've seen in agriculture uh, quite a bit is, oh, I've got this data in this format, right. but I can't make it work over here. If that's something they can address as an industry, boy, that would make life a lot easier for uh, growers out there. Absolutely, Mike. Well, we've got some other news. I want to take a look over at China. Uh, of course, here in the U.S., we have a lot of history with China looking to make purchases of, in our case, soybeans, and then later on cancel those purchases and renegotiate for purchase at a lower price. And that's always been frustrating uh, to American exporters. Well, we're seeing China do the same thing to Brazil now. But on beef, um, basically, Chinese beef importers are looking to renegotiate previously agreed upon prices. These are closed deals with Brazilian beef exporters. And right now, the Chinese are saying the prices are too high and they want to renegotiate. Well, how are they going to do that? Well, they've got a couple of ways. One of the things they're saying is that uh, basically shipments that have already made it into China are being held at the border and they're not going to let them into the country and therefore not going to pay the exporter in Brazil unless they agree to these new lower prices. The reason this is important is 
basically China bought a lot of this beef as the African swine fever outbreak was spreading. And uh, so basically the price of Brazilian beef skyrocketed. Well, it rose about 50%, so quite a hike. And um, China was buying on the way up. Well, now that new packing plants in Brazil have come online and more are projected to come online over the next, uh, well, a couple months to a year, the price of beef is starting to stabilize and even come down a little bit. And now China is saying they are wanting to hold out. Uh, there was a newspaper down in Brazil that reported on this, and they said that even though some of these new packing plants are cleared to sell meat into China, they are saying they're facing rather financial difficulties because of these renegotiation requests because they invested in this new infrastructure to increase their capacity on the expectation that they would have these larger revenues from those agreed upon prices. Well, they're working with China. And, uh, you know, we've been there as, as U.S. producers on the soybean side. It's, I think, frustrating for a lot of folks to see China be able to get away with this. And, you know, even with this uh, phase one deal in place, this isn't going to stop. Uh, we'll see this happen probably in America when they do start, hopefully, buying American beans again in a larger way. But I want to let our American listeners know that we're not the only country that's had to deal with this stuff when it comes to China. And I don't think that that's uh, really any surprise to anyone. Right. I mean, it's it's frustrating, and I think folks wish that, uh, obviously, China would do this, but I don't see they're going to stop anytime soon. I don't think so either, Mike. But um, I'm actually... Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm all out of news, actually, for today. It is a slow news day. It is. Yes, indeed. Well, I just have one other piece, and this is an, uh, an issue that we've talked about in American agriculture for quite a bit, and that is bees. You know, we've seen this. Uh, we had the colony collapse uh, disorder a couple of years ago that was uh, hurting honeybee, you know, colonies, I guess you call them. And, uh, you know, what are we going to do to save the bees, save the bees, blah, blah, blah. And we've done a lot. We've added, uh, you know, pollinator, you know, patches to, to farm ground. You know, we've seen a lot of things done here in the U.S. Well, we've been talking quite a bit about the Australian brush fires recently. And Australia also has a bee issue. Basically, these brush fires on Kangaroo Island in Australia are a very rare species and there's just about 1,200 hives of these Ligurian bees. And basically, almost 600 of these hives have been lost to these wildfires. And uh, th some of the folks that maintain these beehives are trying to move the rest of them around and uh, find them new food supply and new things they can pollinate and eat and stuff. Because eventually, these bees might disappear. Huh. Okay. And bees are obviously a big pollinator and important for kind of the ecosystem. So I guess that is important it is and it's one of those things where it's, it's diversity if this particular strain apparently they're originally an italian bee this ligurian bee and uh due to inbreeding and interbreeding and disease italy doesn't have any more of them or at least no pure versions of these bees now all that's left is this one in uh, australia and you know scientists are hoping to get them saved okay interesting yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll keep our eyes on it down there in Australia. That is certainly a heartbreaking situation as those wildfires continue to spread. Absolutely it is. Well, Delaney, that wraps up my news other than the market. Should we uh, rip this Band-Aid off for our soybean producers? Let's do it. 
All right, folks. As we take a look at the markets, March or excuse me, the corn was down, but only slightly. Beans significantly down on the day, and wheat significantly higher on the day in uh, in all classes, but notably in Chicago. Looking at the corn, the March contract down one and a half cents at three eighty seven and three quarters. The May down one and three quarters to close at three ninety three and a half. In soybeans, March dropped fourteen cents on the day to close at nine fifteen and three quarters. May down thirteen and a half to finish at nine twenty nine and a half. Over in the wheat. Pit March Chicago wheat up ten and a half cents, closed at five eighty one even. May up nine and a half, finishing the day at five eighty and three quarters. Looking over at livestock, we've got mixed trade and live cattle. The February contract was up two and a half cents, closed at one twenty six thirty seven fifty. April down two and a half cents to close at one twenty seven twenty two half. Feeder cattle down on the day. Uh, March down thirty two and a half cents at one forty four sixty seven fifty. April down thirty two and a half to finish at one forty seven fifty five. Lean also down. February contract down 32.5 cents at 67.35. April down 27.50 to finish at 73.82 and a half. Looking over at the world of dairy, class three milk. January up two cents, closed 17.03. February up 12, continuing last week's rally. Finished the day at 17.55. With that out of the way, let's get into our hashtag Tech Tuesday conversation with the folks from Ag Butler. Well, for today's Hashtag Tech Tuesday interview, we are joined by Kevin Johansson of Ag Butler, founder of Ag Butler. Kevin, first of all, thanks so much for joining us today. Yes, thanks for having me. Really looking forward to discussing Ag Butler with you guys. So, Kevin, I've got to ask, I want to ask kind of a two-part question. The first being... How did you come up, and what is the idea behind Ag Butler, and how did you come up with the name Ag Butler? Well, um, I'll talk about how we came up with it first. Um, So we recently moved back to my wife's family farm and kind of handled some of the day-to-day. And, uh, you know, you spend a lot of time in the tractor, and I started to listen to some podcasts. Um, preferably on the entrepreneurial and startup side of things. And going through that, started putting two and two together, and we've been showing cattle all our lives too. And we've always had an issue of getting um, just day help when we're at cattle shows if we're short a person. And how to kind of tied that to day-to-day work on the farm that we started doing more often and figured – we should try to find an avenue to be able to make those connection points easier without having to uh, track down a phone number or scroll through your phone book uh, on your phone and see if somebody's available to come out. So, so, you know, long story short, that's kind of how we came up with uh, the concept and we always try to relate it to an Uber for on-demand uh, ag labor. So that's kind of how we came up with it. And the name kind of just came to me as far as, you know, the uh, a butler is always at your beck and call if you're so privy to have a butler or all the shows that we grew up with as kids, um, you know, had a butler that would cater to the family or, or the household. So kind of threw that out there. And initially we were just going to have that as, kind of a starting point, but the name kind of grew on us, and uh, so it stuck. 
Absolutely, because you're out there, you're connecting labor with the folks who need it. And that is a huge challenge in rural America. We hear it from folks all across the country. How do you connect with folks that maybe you don't even have in your phone book? So let's talk a little bit about what the the process for connecting the farmer and the laborer looks like. What did you guys put together to uh, ensure that this connection can happen? So we're still in product development as we build out this technology. And the basics behind it is, you know, a laborer can set up a profile and they will be able to click on the industries that they want to be green-lighted in um, and give kind of It'll be a profile where they can check out what they're what they can and what they're willing to do and give some price ranges on what they would like to be uh, paid and so that can go up on the laborer side um, an interesting part that we're gonna add to those features uh, to get an initial star rating would be if you if you give you know three references to us that we can vet, you would be set as a preferred laborer with an initial star rating. If you want to forego those references and just get on the pro, on the laborer board, then um, you would start out with a single star rating and you just work on hustling and getting some jobs completed to get uh, a star rating done from the employer. On the other side, as an employer, they'd also build a profile and they could post jobs and it could be a two-way connection. Uh, employer can uh, click on laborers, and the laborer can accept or decline, as well as you know, laborers basically um, check in and see if they can apply for that job, and the employer can pick and choose who has applied for that job and make that connection there. And basically, it's going to be a it's going to be a free to post jobs and to be on the laborer side, but as well, just a straight transaction fee across the board to where it, everybody knows up front what it's going to cost and basically just making the transaction. We're just kind of the middle person making that connection. Huh. So it's, it's almost like it sounds like Kevin Uber or Lyft or those, what I guess you call uh, the gig platforms, you can, as a laborer or an employer, kind of rate each other, give feedback or stars or comments or whatever. Whatever. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes. And the, the other nice feature about this would be, hey, for instance, myself. I mean, we, we run some cattle and bale hay in the, in the summer, and if we're short a person, I would look towards the labor portal if we need a person for part-time or for a partial day to help us finish out our tasks that we need to get done. And then, two, I could be on the laborer side if if I'm at a cattle show or if we're caught up with all of our work and look to make some extra money to make a car payment or land payment, um, I could be on the laborer side as well. So it'd be very flexible uh, and that's kind of the way we looked at it for uh, individuals that, you know, we do farm 24-7, but not there is enough downtime that if somebody's wanting to make some extra money or revenue, uh, they can they can go with what they know and not have to get a part-time job um, in town that's a little more rigid hours. 
So now if I'm a farmer and I'm looking for more than just a day laborer, I'm maybe looking for a, a full-time hired man, is that something that, that Ag Butler would be able to help with? Or are you guys specifically focused on the, you know, running a grain cart at harvest, helping out at the cattle show type of situation? You know, initially we're going to focus on the part-time day work. Um, you know, our whole goal is maybe somebody gets connected through our service and they end up having a, they end up getting a full-time job, which, you know, that would be great. And, you know, people have asked us how you would skirt around that to where you only have a person use it once. And, you know, hopefully they get enough, a good enough quality laborer that they only have to use it once, but maybe they need a more specific uh, task done and, they like the experience they had with Ag Butler, so they come back to find that more specific task laborer. Um, and, you know, I maybe down the road when we kind of get our foot to the ground a little more solid that we would we would look on placing full-time laborers, but there's already um, some web-based portals for full-time labor. So right now we're going to focus on the part-time. Uh, laborers. And Kevin, I want to go back to this gig economy platform, kind of what that means or why you decided to go that route in agriculture as opposed to doing the full-time platform. Well, anymore, we've kind of seen the transformation of the workforce, not just in agriculture, but also in other industries where um, people like to have the flexibility and make their own schedule. Uh, so when we looked at that, we figured there, there's a long history of day help, especially on cattle ranches. You get day help to work a set of calves in the, in the branding pen and things of that nature, as well as, you know, when you're trying to bale hay, um, and you're trying to beat the rain that's coming across the horizon. So we knew that there was a lot of opportunity for the part-time and, and day work demographic just because myself and my wife, you know, during our college and early adulthood time, we were we were a part of that demographic and saw, saw a pretty big need, and that is that has continued on. Um, and we can hit a lot a lot of different areas as we would call our customers potentially on the labor and employer side as far as uh, laborers that are college-age kids to where they have a little more flex flexibility and of a work schedule around their classes and you know potentially we have a large number of uh, those baby boomers are starting to retire more and more and some of them grew up on a farm or you know still on a farm and can be an asset not just for driving a truck or a grain cart, but maybe, you know, supplying some advice to some of these young producers that are are starting to run their own operations. But also always it's always good to have a little bit of wisdom around to pull some information and make their operation a little bit better. You bet. You always learn the most by working with folks who have done a thing or two. And speaking of yeah. done or thing or two, Kevin, I mean, you didn't start this or you, you didn't, uh, you're not putting this all together on your own. You've got a whole team together behind Ag Butler. Tell us a little bit about who you've got involved helping uh, bring this idea to fruition. 
So our team is small but mighty, I would say. Um, And I mean mighty as far as our relationships and connections in the agricultural world. Um, If you you go to our website at agbutlerapp, with two P's.org, um, you'll be able to meet the team and put a face with the name. And initially, when you look at it, it looks like a family affair, which it mostly is. Um, my wife and her sister are heading up the marketing and social media marketing and graphic design of what we've been doing. And then my brother's had experience in the ag industry as far as doing industry relations and marketing with. Uh, almost he was with Caterpillar for 18 years and he's a he's a really good source of information on what type of campaigns worked and how to how to get uh, customer acquisitions and then we recently had a friend of ours that we went to college with at Missouri State Mark Allison and he has his background in ag economics so he's coming in and handling and projecting our numbers to where we can show what avenues we can get revenue through. Well, that is very neat. And I know, Kevin, it seems like Ag Butler's still just at the beginning of their uh, their lifespan, their infancy here. Um, how many people do you have using the platform so far? Do you have a lot of people posting jobs or becoming laborers? Or what stage, I guess, are you at in that development process? So we're definitely in the very early stages of Ag Butler. And as I stated before, we're still um, developing the platform. And so it takes it takes a few dollars to get something like this built all the way out. Um, so what we ended up doing is kind of selling, selling as we build um, to be able to make that foundation more solid as far as our network with uh, industry associations and organizations. That way, whenever we're ready to roll out the technology in its um, in its fullest, whenever we flip on that switch, it's it's easy access to a lot of people, and that way it, it reduces our input costs of you know marketing campaigns of that nature. So. We're trying, we're trying to build that base as well as get exposure at the same time. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's nice getting back and getting in touch with those individuals and really picking other producers' brains on how they would like to see and how they'd be able to navigate the technology. So what we have right now as far as people signing up is what we call first service. And it's on our website, and it's it's a little questionnaire to give some information on who you are, and kind of where you're from, and how you would utilize this platform to where we can keep those first service people up to date on what our progression is, as well as uh, use them as a source of information. So whenever we get a partial of the platform built out, we can kind of kick it out to them, and then they can for a test drive and we can get some feedback from them on what they like, what they didn't like, because what we don't want to do is build out a platform without any outside feedback. And then when we roll it out, we have a bunch of people have a bad customer experience and they only show up there once. What we want to do is have the input from farmers and producers and the laborers to let us know what they like and what we need to tweak before we roll it out. 
and then we'll continue to tweak as we get the product built out. Fantastic. Kevin, this is a great product. It's a, it's really going to be neat to see how it impacts the industry overall. For our listeners who do want to get signed up for that first service, they want to be aware of this project as it's moving forward. Tell us again the website and how can they go about maintaining their uh, their information flow on Ag Butler. Yeah, as if you go to our website, it's agbutlerapp.org and it's it's right on the top of the menu. It's called First Service and social media channels with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And some of your listeners, if they're going to be in, in Des Moines, Iowa next week at the Iowa Power Farming Show, we're participating in Farm Credit Services Innovation Challenge up there. So we'll have they'll be able to see firsthand kind of where we're at, what, what our vision is for Ag Butler. But again, the best way to keep up with what we're doing is through our website and through our social media channels. Excellent folks. Check that out. Ag Butler app with two P's on the internet or on social media. Kevin Johansson, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and for filling us in on what you've got going on there at Ag Butler. Thank you very much guys. Appreciate the time. Well, again, a big thank you there to Kevin. Really interesting, I think, that agriculture is kind of starting to buy into this, what he calls gig economy, Mike. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense in agriculture, especially because we do have so many jobs that we just need an extra hand for a day or two or maybe a week or two if we're uh, moving grain carts or moving equipment or working cattle or whatever. Sometimes we just need another hand there to open gates and keep things rolling. Absolutely. And things are continuing to roll here at the Ag News Daily Podcast. So stay in tune with us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. And be sure to follow us on Global Ag Network's social sites as well Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.